the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Pat Vitucci says, don't invest and forget. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Vitucci of Vitucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Rising costs and supply snarls cause Toyota profits to tumble 42%. The dollar slips as gold resumes its climb as inflation worries continue to roil the markets here at home as well as overseas, where the Bank of England has announced the largest interest rate hike in 27 years. Welcome once again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager, author, and the principal of Vitucci and Associates, Pat Vitucci, along with our own Don't Invest and Forget man on the street, Charlie Cowain. And I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, we're beginning to see that these inflation worries are not unique just to the United States with this announcement by the Bank of England that they're going to be increasing their interest rates there. The largest rate increase in almost three decades, indicating yet once again that this global inflation challenge is something that every country is struggling with. And of course, if we've spent some time at the local grocery store or pulled up to the pump, we know all too well just how painful all of this has been. When oil, which is one of the basic components we all need and use and has such a dramatic shift, it affects everything we do. You see a truck going down the street loaded with Cheerios, it's going to have an effect on the price of Cheerios. Having said that, we've noticed in the last week or so, the price of a barrel of oil is down 20%. Last time I looked, $89 a barrel. So we've got to get another pivot in this market where um, oil was, I think, $114 a barrel at its recent peak. Uh, Now it's down to $89 a barrel. So we're seeing a little bit of signs of inflation beginning to ease. The supply chain is improving. We're getting more chips out there. We're still looking at inflation of 9.1%. We'll see what the next readout is. But I suspect it's going to come down fairly dramatically. We also reported 260,000 jobs lost last month. That's to be expected when you raise interest rates and the economy is slowing. Amazon has 
99,000 less workers than they did a month ago. So when you see giant corporations not filling job vacancies and just through natural attrition, many of the major companies are seeing a decline in employment. And so that's classic of what to expect in this kind of high interest rate environment. We're still in a post-COVID world, we hope. The fall is around the corner where flu season begins to heat up. By the way, I'm seeing more and more friends and acquaintances getting this COVID, which is really just like you're you're down for a couple days and a little fever and achy. And I'm sure the Paclovid prescription helps get through that. We can't ignore the war in Ukraine continues to put pressure on production of wheat. Putin did allow a, a dozen or so ships to leave the ports in Ukraine for areas in Europe to resupply them with wheat and other grains. But that war is, doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. It's, it's devastating to those poor folks. The financial implications are real. And let's not forget, the midterm elections are around the corner. And we'll see how the Dems and Republicans do in this midterm election. Historically, the incumbent party loses seats in both the House and the Senate. Is it enough to sway the balance of power? In an ideal world, Wall Street loves gridlock. And so in an ideal world, the Republicans would regain the House and the Senate. And so there'd be a lot of beautiful speeches going on in Washington, but nothing will happen. Wall Street likes that. We like a free, open market capitalistic system. The less politicians pass all these spending plans and tends to mucky up the economy. So we've got a pivot going on. And by the way, I want to also mention, everybody says, oh, buy gold, buy silver. We've been on this show for almost 30 years. And almost 30 years, gold has been $1,800 an ounce. Last time I looked, it was $1,796.40. So it's $3.60 off its norm. I'm not a big fan. That's my opinion. Of precious metals, especially gold. In inflation, people flock to gold and Gold has been $1,800 an ounce. So all in all, I think we're pivoting to perhaps uh, coming off this high inflation rate. We'll see how this next quarter rolls out as we snuggle up to the midterm elections. And Pat, just a quick story here. It just reminded me when I went into a gas station the other day. My father, now we're talking about a long time ago, but when he would go into a gas station, he would take out $2.00. And fill up the tank of gas. And when I filled up yesterday, it took about somewhere between two and three seconds to get to $2. <laughs> so, Notice how those pumps are a lot faster. Whoa. Well, I, I think the, the modern cars have much bigger tanks than the Model A, I think, uh, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, but boy, we got to $2 in a hurry. It certainly is indicative of the notion that we're watching effects taking place on both ends when it comes to the erosion of American savings. One is, of course, the performance on Wall Street, coupled with what's happening in relationship to inflation. And, Pat, this really makes it an opportunity for listeners to really hone in on understanding how critical it is that they actively manage their retirement dollars, be it in an IRA, a 401K, wherever that money might be 
sitting, that they've got sort of the one-two punch of being concerned about not just the return on their investment as we're seeing depressed numbers on the big board as well as on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, but coupled with that is the erosion of the buying power due to inflation. What do you recommend people do who have, over the past decade or so, just gotten comfortable with pretty decent rate of return, sort of, you know, throw the dart at the board, hit almost uh, any fund and seem to do okay? Those days are certainly over with. So how do people need to respond to all this? Let me throw out a notion, probably not apparent to a lot of listeners, but we are going from a value investing economy back to a growth investing economy, in my opinion. Now, people say, well, I've got that XYZ fund. And you ask them what kind? Oh, it's one of those stock funds. And well, what kind of stock fund? I don't know. Is it large cap, small cap, mid cap? Is it growth? Is it value? Is it global? Is it emerging markets? So we've got this superficial view in many cases of the kind of, quote, stock fund I'm in. The big question as you drill down, in my opinion, we're going from a value kind of investing area of the economy, sector of the economy, to a growth sector. I think that gets into the weeds a lot, but it is so important to understand if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong sector at the wrong time, your values, your performance is going to be hurt badly. And people say, well, but the cost of this investment is so low. Well, that's probably true. But if you're going to be a casual observer of the market and not pivot when we should pivot, and I think we're in one of those pivoting modes right now, you're going to lag behind, in my opinion, in terms of performance. Yeah, the cost is going to be real low, but you're not going to be in that favorable sector of the economy. And so when we talk about don't invest and forget, we're at one of those points where you've got to reallocate, readjust your positions fairly dramatically if you're going to capitalize on the opportunities of where we're going in the next quarter or two, in my opinion. It's easy to be a casual observer of the market and once a quarter, once a year, kind of look at your positions. You're busy. You're a busy person. You're taking care of your kids, looking after mom and dad. You've got stresses at work and you may want some leisure time. This is not a couple hour a week job to pivot when it's time to pivot and and reallocate the different sectors. And so we've been talking about this for a long time. It's one of those opportunities to come in and get a second opinion about what your portfolio looks like today. And we'll be brutally honest. If we think you're in great shape, great. If not, we're going to make some recommendations. Take advantage of the opportunity to get a free second opinion in any one of our Bay Area offices. To take advantage of that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review that Pat spoke of just a moment ago, why not call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. To get more information or to schedule your complimentary appointment, don't invest and forget.com. Pat Petucci says, don't invest and forget. Don't invest and forget. 
I've got a very special guest today, Mark Olson. Mark wrote a book called Animal Colony, an allegory for today's America. He co-authored it with Dr. Thomas Rexworth. Mark, congratulations on a really well-written book. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Pat. I appreciate it. What year did you write this book? I actually was brought on by my co-writer, Tom who had been working on it for probably three years. But I started writing in um, December of 07, if you can believe that. So it was well before the election and well before some of the economic madness of the last couple of months. So we're all familiar with George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, where clearly the whole communist movement was a big debate, a lot of discussion. Is that the better system? Was that kind of your predecessor thinking that was the springboard to write Animal Colony? It was, actually. And we debated various forms. We debated even having trying to do a direct uh, sequel to, to Animal Farm. And uh, we decided that wouldn't be a very good idea for a lot of reasons. But we thought that the, uh, the whole idea of showing innocent animals who are in search of a utopia is a really powerful one. You may know that Animal Farm was one of the most powerful indictments of Soviet communism that ever came along. As a matter of fact, one great critic called it one of the century's most devastating acts of literary destruction. We decided to do an American version. This, instead of being uh, set in England... This is in Jamestown during the time of the original Jamestown colony. It features the animals in Jamestown who realize that uh, they're not going to survive the winter. They're going to be slaughtered for food by their inept masters, and one of them has a vision of a place of their own where they can live in freedom and prosperity. And so one night they escape, and they find that in an abandoned village. Mark, using animals as a symbol, is it easier, and do you kind of sneak the message in the back door when you tell this wonderful story about how the animals interact with each other and how they create their system? Is it easier for us humans to say, I can identify with this animal or with that animal's comments? Is it less, you know, slamming people over the head and very subtly sneaking the message in the back door? absolutely right. It is more subtle. I think, you know, we're more ready to believe in the purity of the motives of animals. Also, I think it helps us to view the story free of labels, which I think is really important because what's going on right now in our country and the concern and even, you know, the anger about it is not a left or right or a democratic or republican issue. And so what we're finding with Animal Colony is that people are able to read it and to really understand, sometimes for the first time, what's at stake, and without feeling threatened, you know, and and no one's indicting them for having voted this way or that way. It's just a, a story about consequences of choices. As you mentioned, the story begins with a group of animals that escape Jamestown where they're a little more than slaves, and then they find freedom and prosperity, and then leaders kind of emerge from that system, and they clearly go in divergent paths. We all want an easy road. We all want things given to us. We all want some entitlements. But when you create that kind of environment, it's not real conducive to long-term strength and stability. It's kind of a selfish, give me my needs today and don't teach me to fish, just give me some fish. Well, absolutely. You know, it starts out with the, the character of a pig. And, I, and we don't make him a pig to be inflammatory. First of all, the bad guy in Animal Farm was a pig. But the character of a pig is really interesting because pigs don't offer the farmer anything on the barnyard until the day they're slaughtered. You know, they're not an animal you can hook up to a plow or anything. And so in our universe, the pigs are become 
very gifted at ingratiating themselves, at finding other ways to make themselves beloved and needed by the other people so that they can prolong their lives. So this pig comes along and he figures out that he can make friends and win influence among the poor animals by feeding their discontent and by telling them that the reason they don't have as much as the other animals is not because they refuse to work, which they in many cases do, but it's because they're the victims of economic injustice and uh, that what's needed is a redistribution of wealth, a restoration you know, of justice. And so the pig is very, becomes very um, eloquent and uh, manages to get himself elected leader of the colony and, and starts promising more and more and taxing more and more. And pretty soon he's got a um, ready audience of animals who are completely addicted to his handouts. And that's how the whole thing spins out of control. Is this book not an indictment against socialism and putting capitalism up a couple notches or even up on a pedestal? It is, because the history of America is an unabashed endorsement of free markets and of capitalism. By extension, I think an indictment of socialism. It definitely doesn't work in our case, and and I don't think it, it works anywhere. I grew up in France. I saw firsthand the really disheartening effects of socialism on a population and how it ruins an economy. I mean, the French economy, taxation is completely out of control. And as a matter of fact, I went back on my honeymoon and uh, went into a nice bistro with my wife, and I paid for dinner with two equal bills. After our meal, the owner came out with a long face and started just moaning and groaning about the economy. And he held up the the bills and he said, this one goes to me, this one goes to the government. You know, 50% right down the line. And then he started talking about how many people he had to support, just statistically, how many people out of work were supported by those who did work. And then he started asking me if I knew of any cities in America that needed a good French restaurant, (laughs) because he couldn't wait to leave. We know throughout most of Europe, you have a kernel of an idea You bring it to America to develop it because the environment is much more conducive to building and creating something. And if you're successful, you get to keep a lot of it. And guess what? You took a lot of risks and you created a lot of jobs and you generated a lot of revenue for the government. I think we always want to create an environment that rewards that kind of behavior. You're so right. There's a lack of uh, ability to really create something (laughs) under socialism because it taxes away so much of the result of what you do that the incentive just isn't there anymore. We're finding that people who've never been able to understand these kinds of concepts and these terms, when they read the book, something happens. The light goes on. Matter of fact, early on in the in the drafting of the book, we gave two early drafts to a couple. Both of them changed their tune uh, overnight. They read the book overnight and said, I see what you guys are talking about. It's not always that dramatic, but it's always very powerful. It reminds me of a story of a dad talking with his daughter who had just come home from college after her second year, and she had straight A's. The dad said to the daughter, honey, that's great. Congratulations to you. But I got some bad news. There were a couple students in your class that didn't do any of the work, and they failed, not because they weren't smart, but they just didn't put the effort forth. And the teacher decided to kind of average the grades out. So everybody got a C. She started wailing. and she, Dad, that's not fair. I worked hard. And he said, welcome to the reality. And this is what a socialist environment does. It kind of equals everything out, blends everything out. Everybody gets the same kind of outcome. I'm sure your 
also familiar with that old quote from uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, that whenever Americans discover that they can vote themselves money from the public till, the experiment will be over. And that's the part that frightens me the most, I think, is that we're going to wind up with a population that absolutely does not know the difference between a right and an entitlement and and absolutely expects every need in their lives to be offered them by the government. They don't even understand there's anything else in life that could solve those needs. We're talking today with author Mark Olson. Mark is the co-author with Dr. Thomas Allen Rexworth of a book called Animal Colony. It is an allegory for today's America. Mark, in your book, you touch on everyone deserves an equal opportunity, but not an equal outcome. In this politically correct world that we live in, clearly we know in reality the outcomes are different. You know, what's funny is that, uh, I don't know if you remember, but we actually had uh, some great truths in the in animal colony that uh, the, the animals voted themselves as kind of guiding principles. And the first one was, Every animal deserves an equal opportunity. Another one was that the harvest belongs to those who toil for it. Uh, One of the important ones was he who does not work does not eat. And over time, after this pig assumes leadership and starts instituting socialism, those who originally had drafted those great truths start hearing them repeated, and gradually words are starting to get changed. Just exactly like you said, uh, over time, uh, every animal deserves an equal opportunity becomes every animal deserves an equal outcome. It's that difference between a right and an entitlement. Certainly, do you say, do people have a right to eat? We all have a right to eat. We shouldn't be denied the right to seek a meal. But now it's been changed to mean we have a right to demand that food be taken from our fellow citizens who worked for it and be given to me with no quote-unquote no strings attached. Over time, people become completely addicted to this. I really fear, even after this economic crisis passes, I fear that we're going to raise up a population of Americans who expect this sort of thing. Well, we're hearing this kind of rhetoric and have, we deserve and demand health care for all. That's nice, but my fear is once health care is free, I'm afraid it's going to be very expensive. You know, like you said, everyone deserves to eat. Everyone deserves to have health care. But contribution kind of helps support all those wonderful, nice things. Yeah, there's this fiction that, that, you know, these things just come out of nowhere, that we have such aggregate of prosperity, you know, is so huge in America that somehow it's just going to spin off enough money to give everybody these things with no cost to anybody, no appreciable difference in the tax rate, no impact on entrepreneurship or on the drive to better oneself. You know, it's going to be completely painless. I mean, anybody who's reading the papers now should already know that that's not true. We're already seeing the price tags, and the price tags are so far beyond what we can even imagine now that uh, most of us, I think, feel like deer in the headlights. Most of us don't even have a grasp of mathematics sufficient to even understand the kind of numbers that are being bandied around. Well, there's so many zeros. We all struggle with billions and now trillions of dollars. There's not enough paper to fit all those zeros when I start writing those down. We're talking today with Mark Olson. Mark is the co-author of Animal Colony. In your book, you guys talk about unintended consequences. We all want this for free and we all feel entitled, but there's some unintended consequences to that mentality. When the government solves all these wonderful things for us and we get to sit back and just collect, what's some of the fallout from that? Well, we 
know from experience uh, that the government is only really good at a very few basic things and that when it starts to overextend itself and really uh, put its tentacles into every part of life, it screws things up. That happens all the time, and it, and it happens in animal colony. They try to inject themselves and tell people what to do, and pretty soon there are things in the infrastructure that, that aren't being taken care of or, or things that turn out terribly wrong. But that's just a result of government putting itself where it doesn't belong. Inevitably, it's going to make horrible mistakes, the kind of stuff that shows up on 60 Minutes and in congressional hearings, because they're just extending themselves way too far. I've always believed that the free market system has a way of balancing things out. And if corporations are building a widget that suddenly falls out of favor today because, A, they didn't market it well or they didn't run their companies well, we feel badly about it. But you have to go by the wayside. I wonder if this thinking was in effect when uh, there were 100 automakers that were either bought up or closed down because they didn't create the kind of – product that consumers wanted during that period. And so when you start getting outsiders coming in, as you mentioned, that's a great example of a government official with no executive experience, number one, number two, no automobile or industry experience making decisions. Talk about ivory tower decision-making and not being in any kind of connection to what the industry demands. You know, the problem is that government doesn't function with the same motives and the same dynamics that private industry does. If when he makes this decision about marketing, he's not going to be out of a job in six months. He doesn't function according to the marketplace and, you know, the rules of profit and loss and demand and scarcity. He doesn't have to worry about how to fund himself. He's not dependent on income from the actual sale of the products. His future is already uh, assured as far as economic stability until the next term. And his big thing is to get reelected. So he is at complete cross-purposes with private corporation out there in the economy. And to mix the two is a disaster, and it always will be, unless, of course, he starts nationalizing everything and taking you know, everything and into the government mantle. Then all of a sudden, private industry disappears and becomes a part of government. People need to be uh, up in arms, whether they identify themselves one way or another. It doesn't matter. There's cause for grave concern. For this rush towards socialism, is there any hope? Americans, most of them are hardworking people who earn their living every day. Will they let this happen and let capitalism go by the wayside and socialism come into play? Your example of living in France, I've read a fair amount that that system is just broken because they let the cat out of the bag and now the ones who feel entitled are kind of running the ship and those who want to work hard, are not motivated. Is there any hope for us? Well, there's cause for a lot of concern, but I was amazed at the strength of their feelings about the issue. So I think there's reason for cautious optimism. And that's why we offered Animal Colony as something for people that have folks they're trying to debate with and they're trying to help understand what's at stake. And maybe they've run out of steam, the debate has stalled out, and they don't know how to get the message across. And what we're saying is there's nothing easier or more disarming than just saying, hey, read this story. I guarantee the light is going to go on. And we think it's something that could change America. And so I have hope, and this is my way of offering something that I think can make a difference. So 
I'm choosing cautious optimism. Mark Olson, congratulations on a very well-written book. Very, very timely. Your timing could not have been better. I wish you well. Thank you so much, Pat, for having me. I appreciate it. Any questions for Mark or if you'd like to come in for our no-obligation consultation, give us a call at one 888 That's 1-888-PLANWISE, 888-752-6947. Pat Fittucci says, don't invest and forget. Let's talk a bit about once we see Social Security in a balanced light, in a more realistic light, then that comes to how do we go about coming up with that number that we need set aside, invested in a 401k or an IRA to reach retirement? And, of course, a couple of factors there is understanding, number one, how to predict ahead what the cost of living is going to be 10, 20, 30 years into retirement. And then number two, how long that retirement will be. It wasn't very long ago that our grandparents perhaps retired, enjoyed a few years in retirement, collected Social Security, and then passed away. Now we're seeing the longevity tables, Pat, changing dramatically. The percentage of centurions alone in this country, those that make it to 100, is an ever-increasing list, which means retirement may not just be a handful of years. It could be almost as many years retirement tired as we enjoyed working. We've got to frame this in a post-2008 Great Recession discussion because pre-2008, there was optimism and there was lots of thoughts of retiring early. You know, 58 is a whole different paradigm of where people's expectations are. So I think they're getting more focused on, gosh, I need to work a couple, three or four more years. I meet with six or seven radio prospects every day who call in from the show and say, Pat, here are my numbers. And I know you're going to tell me I can't retire at 66. And after I go through the analysis of their numbers, they're absolutely right. In some cases they can retire because they've been dutiful and conscientious about saving all those nickels and dimes every payroll period through 401ks or their plan at work. But in many cases, it's more like 67, 68, 69, or even 70. And of course, the Social Security makes it more attractive. Their system says if you wait till 70, the Social Security check is pretty darn attractive. And in some cases, people want to work until 70. They enjoy what they do. So we've got to take a realistic view of what is your real intended retirement age. I mean, Craig, you're just a youngster, but many people who are in that 62 to 66 range today, and they got beat up by the Great Recession of 2008. But in many cases, they got out at the wrong time and the consequent effect on their retirement monies, their 401ks or IRAs or whatever, was that it's going to have to add, if you do the math realistically, it's going to have to mean a couple, three or four more years of working, whether they like it or not. And that's the kind of candid discussion we have with folks when they come in. Some cases, they were diligent, they were conservative, and they're absolutely prepared to retire. But we give folks a real honest-to-goodness, realistic date. We can't sugarcoat anything. We take off our rose-colored glasses and have that candid discussion with our radio audience when they come in for that no-obligation consultation. It doesn't serve me well, it doesn't serve them well to lie to them and say, oh, sure, you can retire not going to happen. We're not going to do it here. That's foolhardy. It's not the kind of candor that we uh, subscribe to. So when we look at those people every day, you know, numbers don't lie. We put the numbers on, on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. and Either they are prepared or they aren't, depending upon what they're going to do. Are they going to move out of their Bay Area home and move to Modesto or 
some other lesser cost area, well, now you're talking about another whole chunk of money of cashing in those expensive two-by-fours, living in a lesser cost area, and again, enjoying another chunk of money to withdraw from. What we want to do is take a realistic look at the investable dollars today and any other sources of income, whether Social Security, pensions, rental income, whatever else you might have. And then we have to give a real honest evaluation if people can retire. It's, it's all about what is your peak projected salary going to be because that's what your Social Security is based on. It's a big influence, Craig, as you know, on your Social Security check and how that's going to be carried for the rest of your life. And so we've got to factor all those in and I think be practical and pragmatic about it and not try and swing for the fences when they're about to retire. You got to, you got to hit singles and doubles. If you hit a home run once in a while, that's okay. But I think our clients are much better served. And I've had clients for 30 plus years and they're still enjoying retirement because we were absolutely conservative and we've lived through the 2001 debacle, Craig, we know that was a very devastating period through that big downslide. And then 2008. So we've had two significant dramatic slides in the markets with a commensurate share of value dropping, unless you were ultra conservative. So that's kind of where we have to look at what is your magic number. And of course, the big issue sprinkled on top of that is healthcare costs. Will your employer carry you for healthcare costs? In about 90% of the cases, the answer is no. So we've got to say, okay, how do we do this and live comfortably for the rest of our life? Right. With all that said, and, and obviously in spite of our efforts at trying to be as precise as we can be, as you suggest, this ultimately becomes a bit of a, a movable or squishy number in that if you pay off your mortgage early, that will have an impact on the amount of money that you'll need. Health care costs will be an issue. How successful you've been at accurately arriving at both the number and the retirement time are also other major factors in all of this. When it comes to sitting down and actually working out that number and looking at the kind of return that you'll need to make sure that you're able to arrive at it, I suppose that's where the help of a professional can really make a difference. Your money personality, your stock to bond ratio, you know, let's not overlook that issue. And while it's a little disconcerting to talk about risk when you're going into retirement, I truly believe, and we've demonstrated with clients who've been retired for 30 plus years, that taking some level of risk is absolutely essential your entire lifetime. People say, well, I don't want any risk. I want to just be all in in cash. Well, failure to do that, I think you will never, ever be able to retire. It'll always be that elusive thing you never, ever get to because you're not being realistic in the way markets normally treat us over the years. And so your money personality is a big, big factor. A lot of the discussion that I have with new folks coming in is really a soul searching. It's that holistic approach to getting comfortable with what your mix really should be. Some cases I have to talk people down off the cliff and say, the male wants to take, you know, 90% risk in retirement. I said, no, 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 that's way too much. And of course, mama wants to take zero stock allocation risk because she doesn't sleep well at night. Like marriage, it's a compromise. We have to come up with some reasonable middle of the road number that pragmatically speaking, the probabilities of achieving that success level is much more realistic. And we want to come up with some middle ground number that satisfies Papa's interest in taking a lot of risk and Mama's interest in taking no risk. We want to come up with some middle ground number that I think that works in the long run. That's why I think folks hire us and and use our services. 
we are continually reevaluating, readjusting, reallocating, redeploying our clients' monies. We can let them track it online 24-7. We visit with them frequently throughout the year. We don't just take their money and invest and forget about them, which is what sadly a lot of this industry does. They take their clients' monies, they put them in a couple of funds or a couple of annuities or a couple of ETFs and say, thank you very much. Don't call me, I'll call you. That doesn't work. We've seen negative deleterious numbers. That just doesn't work. So we're changing our clients' portfolio structure based on market movements. I think that's the key, Craig. To take advantage of that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review that Pat spoke of just a moment ago, why not call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE? That's 888-PLAN-WISE. Easier still, you can schedule your appointment conveniently online by going to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. In addition to scheduling your appointment online, you'll also find a number of resources available through the Investor Education tab, including articles and topics such as what we've discussed today on the program. Again, that's don'tinvestandforget.com to get more information or to schedule your complimentary appointment in any of the Bay Area offices of Vitucci and Associates. Why not call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE? That's 888 888- P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Don't invest and forget dot com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free, 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci & Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci & Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci & Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.